What is up? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics, episode 139. I am your host, Matt, and I'm here with my co-host, Isaiah Burroughs. Isaiah, how are you going, man? I'm doing great. How about yourself? It's it's going. School started back up. We were this okay, so give you a little backstory here. This was supposed to be episode 140. No, we have recorded in the past two weeks, but we recorded last week with Austin and Tyler, who were the former co-hosts of Pack Center before Isaiah and I took over. We went into like an hour and 15-minute conversation about Nevada basketball and Nevada football and all that jazz. But my or my external hard drive had to take a big doo-doo. I might have to get a new one. Yippee skippy for me. It's a shame right now. Yeah, it's not great. Um, we're, I mean, I'm still, we're still able to like record this, thank God, but it was really frustrating when we recorded that. Cause that was one of our best episodes, probably our best one yet, just because of the conversation that we had with those two. And unfortunately it's, it's not able to go up. Um, and so that sucks. Yeah. I mean, I certainly hope we get a chance to reconnect with Austin and Tyler, but you know, that'll be down the road. It's just, it's, it's what happens, you know, technical issues. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it was pretty, like, oh my, like, it just happened out of the blue, um, probably corrupted somehow. I've had the external hard drive for, like, probably four or five months, um, had no problems with it beforehand, injected it properly, did all that, but, um, I guess it had a, had a mind of its own. Um, anyways, Nevada basketball, we, I mean, we, I mean, we're not going to talk about everything that we missed over the last few weeks, as I mean. But Nevada basketball, since we last recorded, I believe, went 2-0 and against Fresno State um, and then promptly got swept after that this last weekend by Wyoming. Nevada basketball has, or the men's basketball team, has now been swept or has swept um, the last four series. I think it was, we swept New Mexico. We got swept by San Diego State. We then swept Fresno State, and then we got swept again against uh, who I just said it. Well, Wyoming. Wyoming. And then this week, Nevada men's basketball and the women's basketball team will play UNLV. It's UNLV week. Yeah, I mean, spring sports and everything are just in full effect at this point. So it's going to be really fun to get into it. And just as, as it seems like both basketball seasons or, or at least the regular season for that matter are kind of coming to an end, it's going to be plenty of sports to really pick apart and get in depth on so it'll be exciting times here in the podcast room i'll tell you that much for sure yeah we have track and field and swim and dive starting up or that started up this last weekend uh the track and field went well and swim and dive lost their first like actual meet of the season um they had like an inner squad scrimmage a couple weeks ago but now they they lost their season opener against unlv and they will be in the Air Force Diving Invitational, not this weekend, but the next weekend, the 5th of February, I believe. And so let's let's get into that. Isaiah, what happened in track and field this week? I mean, can't ask for much better. Just a well-rounded performance over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's just kind of heading into Thursday. You saw Nicola Adder, Hannah Smirt, and Alicia Pulowski compete in the pentathlon. We touched upon the pentathlon in last week's podcast. That That's will insane. never, ever go up. <laughs> That's It's a shame, but... That is, a pentathlon is so ridiculous. I mean, 
It's ridiculously crazy. Yeah, it is it a hard, hard event. It and cons- that consists of, consists of 600-meter hurdles, the high jump. It's not 660. Oh, I'm sorry. 60-meter hurdle. Apologies. A 600-meter hurdle would be absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> you'd be jumping out. You'd be jumping off out of the planet Saturn almost. Yeah. No. No. It'd be much higher than 600 meters. Anyways, 60-meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, and long jump, along with an 800-meter and that that itself was just kind of pretty darn ridiculous. Think about that. So in the 600 meter hurdles, out of 60. Again, it's, it's 600s <laughs> on the mind. The 60 meter hurdles. What's 600s on the mind? I don't know. I just like I keep thinking like 600 Saturn. These weird connections going on right now. I don't I know don't, why. Is that a thing? 600 and Saturn? Is it? I don't know. I, I've never heard that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just been such a confuddle on my part. But in the 60-meter hurdles, we saw Adder finish second with a time of 8.87, earning her second time with 937 points on the day. Smur earned 869 points with her time of 9.20. And then Pulowski earned 587 points with a time of 10.70. From then on, we got the high jump. We saw all three of them finish in the top 10. Adder won the event with her height of 1.76 meters. She also holds the school record in the high indoor high jump with a height of 1.83 meters. So and it, was, it was, what, seven-tenths of a meter off? Just seven-tenths of a Very meter Very close. Off. And you know what? While we're on the subject of Adder, one of the greatest athletes to ever step foot on this campus, she just continues to set records. And her community aspect away from her academic and athletic career is absolutely amazing. She's going to go down as one of the best athletes this campus has ever seen. But that performance on the day earned her 928 points. Smurt finished ninth with her height of 1.55 meters. That was good for 678 points. And then last but not least, Pulowski tied for second place with her height of 1.7 meters to give her 855 points. She was just 0.3 meters off from the 10th all-time mark in school history. So, And that was her first ever meet as a member of the Wolfpack because she's a freshman. Uh, it's just been amazing in so many ways. I mean, this team, Nevada track and field team, is put together of some high, high-quality athletes at all aspects. I mean, very good credit to the coaching staff and recruiting side. They get a lot of local and west side talent, and you're really seeing it kind of come together. In the shot put, we saw Adder finished in sixth place. Smurt finished in 11th, and then uh, – also in the 800-meter, Adder and Smurt were both two of three qualifiers that did not finish in the 800-meter. So overall, that was a pretty busy Thursday. Heading into Friday, we saw Emma Dern complete in the weight throw event, and Gabby Frazier completed in the long jump. Dern threw 12.16 meters and finished 28th place. Frazier finished in 14th in the long jump with a distance of 5.15 meters. And then last but not least, on Saturday, we saw Smurt, Adder, and Pulowski once again complete, compete in the high jump. Dern competed in the shot put, and then Dern also put together a personal best performance at that, throwing three, 13.10 meters. That's a lot. That's a ton yeah, of weight. A... You literally have to, like, it's so hard to explain the movement you have to do, but it is such a complex. Pushing it from your shoulder, I mean, that that's incredibly tough to do. Yeah, It's painful just to I do don't, that. Just watching him do it's painful. Like, just it hurts my shoulder. This is serious athletic stuff that you have to train in so many different aspects just to be able to compete in these events, let alone qualify and set records. It's just a testament to how good this program is. Did you do track in high school? 
No, I wish. Oh my gosh, I was in no shape whatsoever to do track. I don't even think I could walk up my high school stairs in high school. Hey, I see. Like I, I, I always want to. I mean, I didn't, but like I'm just interested to see how they train. It's a crazy. I mean, I've seen some of them at the UNR gym, and they just go crazy. That's um, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, that's that's all you could say about that. But Adder finished the day in the high jump with a height of 1.78 meters. Two centimeters better than her height on day one. And then Pulaski uh, finished the day with a height of 1.7 meters, just just 0.8 meters behind Adder. And then Smurt finished the day with no height because she could not clear the height, unfortunately, which is no, like, marker error on her part. It's a hard jump to do. Mm-hmm. High jump is ridiculous. I mean, it's just uh, crazy events going on over these past three days. And I really think this team can compete at a very high level. There's just studs across the board in the indoor track, outdoor, and so many other categories. It's going to be a very interesting season to keep an eye on. But, you know, as we said, sports are coming up. You know, they're showing up here on campus now that the spring sports season is kind of officially back. Do you want to dive into swim and dive, Matt? Yeah, Nevada lost to swim and dive this weekend, 196 compiled points between TUNLV's swimmers and divers compared to Nevada's 103. Uh and Nevada, Nevada did good in the diving. They got a first, second, or third place finish in each diving event. Issa Vasquez Lopez claimed first in the one and three meter with final scores of 322.5 and 368.77. Jesse Nowotny and Leah Sorensen finished second and third place in the one meter. And in the three meter, Sorensen and Nowotny finished second and third. So they were back to back finishers in the diver section. And so. Nevada did good in that department. What they didn't do as great was the swimming aspect of it. Um, although in the 200-meter breaststroke, Donna DiPaolo, a Reno native, won the event with a time of 2 minutes, 19 seconds, and 98 milliseconds. Um, she took third in the 100-meter breaststroke with a time of a minute, 4.2. So, I mean, good. it was a good overall performance from her. Definitely. And in the international, or not international, individual medley, I don't know why I said international, but the individual medley, which consists of the backstroke, breathstroke, butterfly, and freestyle, uh, DePaulo completed in the 200-meter uh, intermediate, or not intermediate, individual medley. I don't, I keep saying that's definitely not individual it, medley. It's 600, you know, it's the yeah, same. It's we, just, yeah. it's tying up. It's it's like our Monday right now a little bit. Yeah, even though we're recording on a Friday. Anyway, she, uh, she, she got second. Uh, sophomore Benedict Nady got third. Um, Victoria Samala finished, claimed first and second in the 100-meter and 200-meter breaststroke. And Josian, I don't know how to say last name. Wilkuis. Wilkuis. Uh, Victoria, Julia... Uh, and Colette Birkenfield, uh, they were second in the 200-meter medley with a time of a minute 45-32. So new sports introduced this weekend. They will be competing in the Air Force Dive Invitational on February 5th. The track and field will be competing in the Air Force. Well, they will tra- they will be back in Air Force. They were just here this last weekend, but they will be competing at the championship for peak on February 25th. So... Just a couple pack sports going on there. Now let's get to the thick of the women's basketball and the men's basketball. Where do you want to start? You want to do women's first? Yeah. I mean, you want me to handle this one? Yeah. Let's do it. 
So Nevada women's basketball, getting back on the right track. I know um, in last week's podcast that you unfortunately, that unfortunately did not go out. We talked about how the women's team stumbled a little bit coming out of the gate, but but they got back to their winning ways against Wyoming, getting over a two-game sweep over the Cowgirls in game one. We saw, you know, kind of a really balanced effort on both ends of the floor. I know the leading scorer for the pack, Deja Hamilton, totaled just eight points. The pack still squeaked out a 60-52 to 52 win against Wyoming. And surprising, you know, in so many aspects, the pack didn't even trail in this game. They led by as many as 14 points, too. So handling a lead in late in that second half can really help them and seeing them play a lot better. So Megan Ormston led Nevada with 14 points. Nia Alexander had 10 had a few more contributions in double digits as well. Just a very well-balanced effort, and heading into Game 2, Nevada just squeaked out another one, 57-50 victory over Wyoming for the sweep. Amaya West poured in a career-high 18 points. She was the team's only double-digit scorer. I know it was kind of a lower-scoring offensive performance, but it was on the defensive end when Nevada really kind of clamped down on Wyoming. Wyoming was held to just 33% from the floor and 19% from three, and... Really, from the get-go, Nevada had a kind of quick step to their game, got out to a quick 10-run run, and didn't really look back in a lot of aspects. They held the lead for the most part, played very crisp defense on the afternoon, and Nevada did hold a double-digit lead for much of this game. It was cut to five by Wyoming with just about three minutes left in, this, you know, in the ball game. but you know Nevada held it out, squeaked out another victory, and we're seeing this team get back on the right track. It's very exciting in so many ways, especially towards this tail end of the season. They're starting to play some of their best basketball on both ends, a very well-balanced effort, so something to keep an eye on for sure, and two big wins, you can't really argue against that. Yeah, there was, just looking at it, or just watching everything, Nevada had 19 turnovers in the first game, but it only translated into eight Wyoming points. So that's a big – Nevada only had 11 turnovers in the second game, but that's still like a big discrepancy. And, I mean, I know you and I have harped on turnovers this entire season, but 19 turnovers in a basketball game ain't great, but Nevada still came away with the eight-point victory in the first game. Oh, definitely. And I know in both aspects with the men's and women's, we see how opposing teams have taken advantage of turnovers in the points-off turnovers category. But when you're able to kind of – you know, when you make a mistake on that end of the floor in terms of a turnover – if you're able to make up for that mistake on the other end, it can lead to bigger things. You know, you're kind of stopping the blood in that way, you know, stopping the wound and healing it. So if you're not letting it come back to bite you with points on the other end, you could still stay in a contest and ultimately win it. And I think Nevada did that. You know, they still need to do a better job of taking care of the basketball, obviously. But when you're playing hard on that other end and not just giving up points so easily, you see how it can turn it, you know, translate to victories in a lot of aspects. Yeah, Nevada also did a good job defending the three-point line. Wyoming shot 6 of 42 in the two combined games from deep. Um, they were 3 of 21 in the first game, and then they were 4 of 21 in the second game. So I mean, just clamping or, down. No, that, no that'd, be seven, that'd be 7 of 42. Yeah. But my bad, my bad. No, hey, we're struggling with math today. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a, it's just, yeah, it's just been a rough day so far. <laughs> but that's another thing to just kind of – Give a lot of credit to Nevada on that end because we've seen opposing teams really start to tee off on them offensively and, you know, really combat some high scoring performances from Nevada offensively because they weren't able to guard the three-point line in the perimeter for that matter. So they are able to lock down Wyoming in that two-game series, and it was a big, big game because it 
helped ease some offensive woes this time around. So you've seen how a well-balanced effort can kind of get you some wins in that regard. Yeah, Nevada shot the ball better than they have been, at least from the field, not necessarily from the three-point line. They shot 47% in the first game, 426 in the second game. Um, they only shot 27% in the first game from deep and 29% in the second game. So, I mean, there's still improvement to be had there. They, again, we talked about it in the podcast that will never go up, is that they were, they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the conference. And so hopefully there's still some left to be desired there outside of Deja Hamilton now, as you illuminated earlier. What a game, or what a second game that was for Amaya West. Oh, yeah. I mean, she made her presence felt from... All over the, first, the floor. All over, from the you know opening tip. And you're seeing more of a balanced effort in a lot of ways and seeing more players step up in that regard. And Amaya West has a lot of skills and abilities all over the floor. And, you know, we can use her scoring contributions down the road for certain. Do you want to go into men's basketball now? Yeah, I mean, why not? Nevada men's basketball wasn't a great weekend. It wasn't. At least the women's made it easier in that regard to have basketball high end on a high note because the men's team has <sighs> two tough losses. It's yeah, in a lot of ways. Two tough losses. Um Nevada lost the first game, 71-64 against Wyoming. And they lost the second game, ninety-three to eighty-eight. Um, I didn't when I when we talked about this last week, and when I did my uh, predictions for Mountain West Connection, I didn't factor in the altitude as much as I probably should have. Yeah, that's important. That's something I didn't really even think of either. <laughs> I mean, Arena Auditorium has the is the highest altitude stadium or highest altitude arena in the entire nation among Division One schools. Um, I believe it was 7,220 feet, something like that. And so even in the first – Nevada looked worse in the first game than they did the second game, at least offensively. It just felt like they didn't have – they weren't able to cultivate that energy until the beginning of the second half to when they went on that 28-7 run. But it just – they kind of seemed like out of it almost. Not out of it, but like they weren't – there wasn't as much energy, and Wyoming, who makes 10 threes a game, just kind of got out to that hot start at the beginning of the game. Nevada had to claw back on the road in an empty stadium in high altitude, and it just was a recipe kind of for disaster. And the second game wasn't as similar. Nevada kept it close for a while, um, but in the second half, they just couldn't. They weren't able to generate stops when they needed to, and by the way, allowing 93 points in the game, but also scoring 88. Like, the 93 points was the most it's allowed all season, and then the 88 was the most it scored all season. So just a tale of, like, pretty much like tale two, of two sides of basketball. Yeah, I was going to say. Two like sides a, of the floor. A great performance and a bad performance on that, matter, on that matter. And it was good to see Nevada kind of shake off a very, very rough offensive performance in game one. I mean, the pack shot, just 34% from the floor. Four of 25 from three-point range. I mean, in some ways, you live and die by the three, and that kind of came back to haunt you in that regard. And I think you explained both of those games perfectly. Two tough losses, a tougher environment than, you know, some give it credit for. And Wyoming, in a lot of ways, just kind of stayed content, played their game, and it was just kind of hard for Nevada to bounce back in that regard and find some sort of offensive or defensive rhythm, you know, whether it's trying to find find 
baskets, find more consistent points, or getting consistent stops on the other end. And when those two things don't really work in your favor, it kind of translates to tough losses in that regard, and we saw that. Yeah, Nevada did a good job pounding the interior, though. Yeah, especially at least when At least when they had the opportunities to, because, I mean, Warren Washington in the first game at least had 21 points. In the second game, he had, think, 13 and had it his first career double-double. And so even without Zane Meeks, who didn't play in either of the two games this weekend, Nevada was still able to generate some offense in the front court. Um, of course, the spacing that Zane provides um, was a little left to be desired a little bit. Nevada generating spacing for Nevada has been relatively difficult in his absence, and I think he obviously brings a better flow to the offense when he's in the game. Um, but we still suck as Wyoming, I think, was allowing over 60% from the field heading from inside the arc, heading into um, that game. And they were allowing, I think, 63.5% from at the rim bef- before that before those two games too. So they don't, have, they don't have a lot of rim protectors or shot blockers. I mean, I guess Hunter Thompson, and then, of course, as we saw the emergence of Graham E.K. over the weekend, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Those are, I guess, their two best, like, interior shot blockers. And they didn't. Nevada did a good job taking advantage of that when they could when they weren't hitting the shots from outside. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we saw, like you said, more of an inside presence. And I hate referencing that old podcast that what We keep referencing it. It's It's just because I think Tyler and Austin made some very valid points. And I remember Tyler specifically kind of figuratively speaking, slamming the table, saying how Warren Washington needs to step up and kind of be a third scorer, and he's shown the ability to do so. I think in this series, he really showcased that, especially in the first game, as you mentioned, with the career-high 21 points. Shot very efficiently from the field, and you saw him kind of take more of a an aggressive nature, I guess, to get going early. And I think that can be kind of a, a positive direction going forward, is maybe feeding him in the post more and kind of establishing that inside-outside game that can really help us. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I thought that was at least some sort of a bright spot in two really tough losses where... Two, you know, a couple things really didn't go well for us. Yeah, he, yeah, because without with Grant Sherfield having eight points in that first game, Nevada needed to generate offense from somewhere, and Grant did step up in the second game. Um, I don't think there would be a case where, I mean, I thought Nevada could have won in that second game if it wasn't for a few defense, few defensive stops. But it was good to see him generate offense again, because um, he had a rough. He had a rough first game. He was 2 of 16 from the floor. He couldn't find a shot the entirety of the game. And again, that goes back to my point that Nevada needed some time to get used to the altitude. And yeah. at least they did adjust to that. Getting they, winded and stuff like that, I mean. Yeah, because it's like if you're a shooter, then a lot like you need your legs, you need stamina, you need concentration. Like if you're in a high altitude like place like that, you don't have that. Or it's hard to generate that. Plus the energy on the defensive end, which Nevada didn't do a great job of stopping pe- dribble penetration, which then allowed to kick outs from the th- on the three-point line for catch-and-shoot opportunities for like Kenny Foster or for uh, Xavier Ducell or uh, Marcus Williams. Just a bunch of players who got off this weekend from beyond the arc. I'm probably forgetting some names too. Hunter Thompson did had a good first game. Um, and so just all of that kind of combined. I'm not blaming it on just the altitude Nevada needs to play better um just a little inconsistencies but we've seen growing pains throughout this team this year but 
my point my point my overall point is is that it was good to see Grant get back on track after his first game and the res- and respond the way he did. Oh, definitely. And even in a game where he's not having his best offensive performance by any means, you're seeing a couple of guys step up in that scoring category. So we've harped on that throughout the years. Can we find a consistent third score and even some games a, a consistent second score? And I think this these two tough losses have pointed that in some ways and seeing that Cambridge was good as a second yeah. score. He had sixteen points. Yeah, both he's games, been very consistent as always this year and we're seeing that take advantage and we're really seeing potential you know, potentially a third score being developed down low and give us that down low presence. So it's been you know, maybe that can be some form of optimism and two tough losses as I keep mentioning, but I gotta credit Wyoming. You know, they really stuck to their game plan. I gotta credit Grant UK for seemingly giving Wyoming a massive boost, both on both on the defensive end, on the glass, and even in the scoring category. He gave that team life. He was in his second career game. It was the same situation yeah. as Daniel Foster was in. Second career game in the second game. So I mean, this was his first series of the season. He didn't have. He didn't record a point in the first game. He had 18 points, six rebounds, shot seven of ten from the floor. He just was he four of seven from the free throw line, but he still had three offensive rebounds, had a few second chance points. It seemed like in that second half when Nevada couldn't get a stop when they needed to, he was a big reason why. Oh, definitely no, like he was just a spark plug right away, and you saw his energy on both ends of the floor, gave Wyoming life in a lot of ways. And I know you touched upon Daniel Foster as well, which I bet we'll get into more. Just kind of interesting to see both of those guys, you know, they seemed like they wanted it in such early parts of the game. And, you know, just kind of really cool to see that kind of aspect take place for both teams in that regard. Yeah, Daniel Foster, he didn't, he fouled out in the first game. Yeah, I mean, he fouled out in both games, but he fouled out in the first game without record. He didn't have a shot attempt. I think he had a rebound and a couple assists. He didn't have any points in the first game. He comes in in the second game. He's one of the early inserts off the bench. It seems like almost as like Alfred's almost throwing him in the fire. Once Not again. throwing him in the fire, but no, he's giving him, him he's giving PT. him early minutes and yeah. giving some giving him some confidence. And after he hit that first shot, hit that corner three, it seemed like he was becoming more confident and comfortable on the floor. It's still not there yet, but it, I'm interested to see because we talked about in the podcast that'll never go up how we kind of asked ourselves how many minutes he would get. And we came to the conclusion that it would be like, okay, he'll start out with 5 and 10, maybe get some conditioning back. And in the first game, he played 10 minutes. And in the second game, he played 23. I mean, you want so, to talk I about... Mean, he was part of Nevada's closing lineup in the yeah. second game. So it was... So and I remember tweeting that out from the Pac-10 account, and I was like, wait, whoa. Like, he's in... It's a five-point game. He's in with three minutes left. Like, what in the world? Getting adjusted early. Like you said, get your feet under you, get your conditioning back. And I really credit Alford for always giving his young guys some burn, even in the, you know, closing and biggest moments of games. Hopefully that instills confidence in them as the season goes along. Yeah, and in that second game that I was talking about, he had eight points on three of six shooting, three rebounds, two assists. But then again, the five fouls, he picked up the fifth foul late. Nevada was also going through some foul trouble throughout the second half with Grant and Desmond. Um, along with Robbie, but he's, they, he, they still found a way to just 
get another body in there who wasn't in foul trouble. And I wonder how they manage that throughout the rest of the season. Because, I mean, we kind of touched upon it, but we were kind of discussing how, like, all right, whose minutes would he take if if Alford wants to go, like, 9, 10 deep, um, which seems like the route he wants to go. We were trying to guess which minutes that he would take, and we are kind of coming to the conclusion that maybe a couple minutes off Sherfield, maybe steal some minutes there. Because you have to have – Alford doesn't do it all the time, but you almost have to have Desmond – either one of Desmond or Grant on the court at the same time. And we were wondering who he would shave minutes off of Desmond, Grant, Kane Milling, if he was going to be a lamb, even if it was going to be Robbie. DeAndre like, Henry. It's like that's how many guys right. are on this roster that are getting minutes. So, yeah. like you said, it's going to be an adjustment for Alford to really – find just how much he wants to utilize Daniel Foster and the rest of his young talent. I mean, there's going to have to be some sacrifices made. So that'll be, for me, something to keep an eye on just to see who goes up, who goes down. And I think we talked about – we keep referencing this podcast that never was. I'm sorry. But I think we talked about – At least 10 times we've talked about it. <laughs> I think we talked about the last one just um, – you know, you're seeing – possibly like a game-by-game trend of what Alford's doing in terms of his rotations and minutes. So maybe it's nothing set in stone and besides the core seven and the core five. But, you know, just something – I thought it was really good to see Daniel Foster really get some burn on mm-hmm. the court. And I thought he performed well, especially in that second game. He looked hungry and feisty. Yeah, because, I mean, he played more minutes than K.J. Himes. He, K.J. only played 14 minutes, and he also played more minutes than Robbie with 17 minutes. That's crazy. For a true freshman in your in his in, second career game, in your second career game, and you're getting that much burn, but that's where you know I like Alford. It's cool to see that. I mean, instill some confidence and some burn in your young guys, and see where that takes you. Mm-hmm. Also, mean, the game by game swing uh, between just something that uh, as I was looking over these games again, doing the rewatches and stuff, just the two game swing, uh, the pendulum swing from Kane Milling. Kane went 0 of 5 in the first game and then went 4 of 5 the next. And 10 just... points in the second game, too. Yeah. He was the second or third double digit game of the season. Yeah. He's... And so I wonder, you've talked about it before, but I wonder if he can gain some consistency and almost immerse himself into that third scoring role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think his, I think we've talked about how his offensive ceiling is capped a bit. I don't see him pointing in 15 plus a night by any means. So when he gets these double-digit performances, you know, take them and run with them because in some ways he's just, um, I think he's trying to find who he is offensively. And right now he's kind of that spot-up shooter as Grant draws a lot of attention driving to the hoop. He's been able to kind of knock it down from deep on some spot-up attempts and catch and shoot. And also, you know, when Grant or Dez are on the bench, he's also that kind of secondary ball handler and can lead the offense. So just kind of... An interesting, you could say, pendulum swing, as you said. Just one game, basically a non-factor offensively, and then second game, you see him coming out more aggressive and really giving us a little bit of a spark, even though it wasn't a loss. Just something to, you know, kind of take away from it is how back and forth, I would say, an up and down he's been offensively this year. It's just really We've seen some flashes, but... Definitely. Yeah, even as we said in the second game, it's just... I just don't know, you know, how much of a consistent offensive producer he can be, you know? 
I think that can that be a valid question in your mind? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he he'll he'll grow. Um, he he's still, I'm he's still learning the game. I would say getting stronger, getting bigger, just adjusting to it. Can we talk about another thing? I want to hit on. Can we talk about that run that Nevada had in that first game? I don't think we touched upon that that much. Nevada was down forty-one to twenty-one. With seven, or with just under 18 minutes left in the second half, they climb back with eight minutes left. They go on that 28-7 run. Get, they get to the free throw line a whole bunch. They find a way to claw back after just not able to generate any offense. And I think that's one thing that we could agree, you and I both agree upon, is when even when Nevada's at its worst offensively, they still have players like Grant, Dez, Kane, Warren, who can get to the free throw line. No, who are aggressive enough, right, right. to, you know, draw fouls and in in a multitude of ways, you know, like, and I think that gives us a new element. And we've talked about just how well the Wolfpack have been able to shoot and perform at the free throw line and get to the free throw line. And, you know, when you're down that many points, there's nothing better than to stop the clock, earn your two from the stripe and chip into that lead. So... And that's exactly what Nevada did. Nevada started t- t- tacking the basket. They started it kind of up their en- yeah, they didn't up their settle. energy level defensively. Coleman had that tremendous steal, which led to that Warren dunk to give Nevada the lead, and then Nevada finished the game shooting I think four of their last fifteen. And so it wasn't a good overall performance to close the game. And I know you and I have talked about the issues with closing games, but it was just good to see this team battle back. And you saw just. Saw them become more aggressive, you know, attacking the paint and not really settling for tough contested jump shots. You know, that's something this team can really build upon is they don't have to be this jump shot oriented live or die by the three team because they have a lot of athleticism on the wings at the guard position and even down low to be able to, you know, get buckets down low or, as you said, draw fouls in a multitude of ways. And in games like that, I think that can be something they can really hone in on and kind of attack early on. And going back to Grant, he was 2 of 16 shooting, but he did get a, a few of his points from the free throw line. That's, I think, one thing I can respect is that he's aggressive all the time. Yeah. It's not like necessarily an off switch for me. I mean, I know there was a lot of jump shots that he hoisted up in the game that didn't go in Nevada, couldn't peel the uh, lid off the rim. But, yeah, I, I still like his aggressiveness at points in the game. And, I mean, he's made some really – just not in that game specifically because, again, he went 2 of 16 shooting. But throughout the season, he's been just acrobatic finishes. And finishing through contact is one thing. And be, despite being 6'2 and below 200 pounds, I mean, he's been one of Nevada's best finishers um, at the rim this season. And I think that really is a testament to – I mean, one, opponents respect his shot, so, I mean, he's able to attack those rims, but he's also very crafty and very shifty. And so, I mean, I, I do want to see him more do that more and so, because that's also going to set up... Uh, other guys. It's going to set up other guys. It's going to set up opportunities for KJ. It's going to set up opportunities for Warren. And it's even going to set up opportunities for kickout guys if he can just continue to attack the rim. And I think that's a large part of why he scored, why he scored 20 points and seven of the last eight games is because he's been able to get to the line and stay aggressive and keep attacking the rim along with hitting his shots from outside. Definitely. I mean, one thing we've seen from Grant Sherfield this season is always in attack mode. And I think that's something that he continues to just show out and, you know, just 
kind of like I thought, especially in that first game when we got on that run, you saw him at least maybe hopefully find some rhythm back from the free throw line in that regard. And I think he's one of those players, him and Dez in a way, where they just need to see a couple fall in. And it seems like they just get in a serious, serious groove and are able to just take over games for Nevada offensively. So that's one thing, as you said, just give him credit for his nonstop motor and his aggressiveness, especially on the offensive end. He's He's been dealt with a lot this season offensively and really having to carry us in some aspects. So seeing him struggle a couple times, you know, in that first game and then bounce right back to being that effective player he's been all year is something that really bodes well to his overall offensive profile. Yeah, another thing I want to hit on is the aggressiveness of Trey Coleman. These last three games, he's been a lot more aggressive than he has been in the previous games. Uh, I think he's starting to finally get more comfortable on the floor despite being any, I think they're just involving him more offensively. Um, I mean, I know he's been a really spot up shooter from like that corner wing spot um, the entire season, but he's also, he also showed some attacks. He was attacking the rim a little bit um, in this game. I mean, he's had spurts beginning of the season. Like he had 13 points in his first game. Yeah, I mean, we've seen flashes of Trey Coleman's offensive versatility. And, you know, dating back to his high school days, at 6'7", he kind of towered over some kids in high school. He really focused his game with back to the basket more around the paint. And that's kind of changed dramatically, you know, drastically in the college game here at Nevada. He's transitioned to the wing. And I think that you really needed to give him some time and seasoning to develop and kind of find his groove that way and find what he's truly capable of at the forward position. So seeing him be more aggressive with the ball in his hands and being able to hoist up more shots with confidence is something that's going to pave the way to be a really bright future here with the Wolfpack. So great observation on your point. Yeah, go into that a little bit because you did a terrific story for the Nevada Sagebrush on Trey Coleman and you did a feature on him from his high school days and how that's kind of translated to now. Like what was it like getting all that information? Oh, man, I just talking with his former high school coaches, especially his assistant coach, Clark Miles, you know, it was just you could tell the makeup of who he is, not only as a player, but as a person, just someone who really trusts and lives for the process and isn't afraid to put in the dirty work. And we've raved about his defensive abilities here at Nevada, and there were more than flashes of that in his high school days, talking with one of talking with Coach Miles, assistant coach at Jeffersonville High School. During breaks in the action and timeouts at high school games, he would uh, break up the huddle and say, Coach, I got him on the opposing team's best player consistently. So that's just the type of player and person he is, someone who just wants that challenge and prove himself at every aspect. And as we all know, the state of Indiana is full of basketball talent, you know, from the NBA. Ask Steve Alford. (laughs) Yeah, just ask him and Craig Neal for that matter, too. So those type of ties, that type of competition only fueled him. And it's just exciting to see a prospect like that at Nevada. He has the chance to be really special. And, yeah, he's been very good in these – or I would say at least very good offensively in these last few games. My computer keeps going off. It's about ready to die. So, um, But, yeah, he's had – he went 4 of 7 shooting in against Fresno State in the second game. He had 4 of 10 in the first game against Wyoming and then 2 of 9. I mean, I know those aren't great percentages, but at least he's hoisting up more shots. I mean, he didn't have a game this season where he hoisted up more than 7 shots in those previous games and he always did that three times this over the weekend. So I think he's getting more comfortable 
Um, they're involving him more in the offense, and he might be sneakily asked upon more in games where either Grant is off or Desmond's off or Warren is off or something like that, just in games where he's involved on the floor more because he's, he's playing 25 minutes a game. Yeah, he's been thrusted into that starting lineup, and he's embraced it. So, as you said, if one of those two guards have an off night, Trey has some of the potential and ability to hopefully pick up some of the scoring aspect in that regard. So he has the ability to do so, and I think we're seeing more confidence in that jump shot with the ability to put the ball on the floor at a new position. So that's something that really excites me, and I think Alford is seeing that too. So in a lot of ways, that's awesome. You know, it's can we see more of that as the year progresses, especially as we get into tournament play? Can we be more of that kind of non-one-man show that – Grant Sherfield has put on this year in so many ways. So can we be more of a well-balanced offensive team, especially in the half-court set? Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Is there anything more you would like to add? No, sir. I I know we are a week away, but what are your early Super Bowl predictions? Oh, boy. I'm going to go Chiefs 31-23 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. Yep. I think, um, yeah. I'm going to ask you this again next week. Yeah, so you, you know what? It may drastically change. I'm not going to lie. But that's, yeah, it, that it was like change. just like right there. What are yours? If you had to. If... Um, I'm trying to do this as quick as I can before my laptop dies on me. I would say Chiefs 28 bucks 24. Yeah, I can see that. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher are out. I forgot the, how bad that the Eric Bucks, Fisher injury the Bucks was. The Bucks to your defensive line. Vita Vey is back. He'll have two weeks to prepare. Shaq or Barrett. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul. JPP. Gosh, they're stout defensive. Oh, my gosh. Le- um, Levante David, Devin, Devin White. White. Just all over the field. So Their good. front seven's really good. That could be something. And with Eric Fisher, that torn Achilles, oh, my goodness. I mean, not, I, speedy recovery for Eric Fisher, that is devastating. Right. And then but uh, then on the other end, I, I know Vea was out for this game, but the same time we can't – I'd be remiss to not mention that Tyreek had 207 yards in the first quarter against the Bucks the first game around. So, yeah. I don't I, think that's going to happen again. That's – I don't – that's just – I don't think that's possible. Absurd. <laughs> but at the same time, just the amount of weapons Kansas City has. Yeah. That Mahomes just go factor. down just go down the list. And of course it's Andy Reid with two weeks to prepare. I think Andy Reid in two weeks to prepare in any situation is almost not a not a guarantee it, but it's a big advantage <laughs> to whatever team he's coaching. He's very good off of buys. I mean, he was good last year um in the Super Bowl against the vaunted 49ers defense. And it's I mean, I know Kansas City's only had like one double digit win since uh week eight, and that was this last week. Wow. And so there's been times where they get out to a big lead and kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit. I think I don't think they're gonna be doing that this time around, but it's also the same time I don't want to bet against Tom Brady. I know that's the thing too. It's Brady, but like it's it's Brady. Uh, but he's lost some Super Bowls as well, so but at the same time it's Brady, you know. Yeah, it's Brady. <laughs> He has Godwood Evans. Gronk. Gronk. Leonard Fournette. Did you see that touchdown run? Yeah. My goodness. That was great. Yeah, and even Antonio Brown, who... Did he play against Green Bay? No. 
No, hopefully he no, because uh, he didn't practice at all. He had that knee injury or knee injury that he suffered against the Washington football team, and he they didn't he didn't practice that week. He sat out, and I'm pretty sure with two weeks to prepare, he's also going to be back. I don't know how much snaps he's going to get, but hopefully two weeks he's able to rest up. But I think it's going to be a good game. So I'm going to ask you this question again next week. Yeah, like I said, it may completely change, but those are my uh, very early Super Bowl predictions. I think the last time I looked, the line was Chiefs minus three and a half. I like that. And so. That may go down a bit too. It could be like, wouldn't be surprised if it's like two and a half. But who knows? Yeah, because it's Brady. Brady People, after watching what happened last week against Green Bay, I'm, I'm sure it might stay around the same because it might even it out a little bit with Kansas City beating Buffalo as bad as they did and Tampa also obviously beating Green Bay. But I, it could fade. Yeah, I think you might be right. It could go to three, two and a half. I mean, some sports books it was three. I haven't looked at it in a few days, so I don't know. But anyways, uh, thank you for listening. Give us a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We're sorry we weren't able to get to this podcast this last week. We and Also this week, we had to cut it a little bit shorter than we usually do. Um, we hope you have a good week. See you next week. Oh, wait. I didn't even mention we're, Nevada's playing UNLV. We didn't like... Yeah, huge. Sorry. Yeah, let's just... <laughs> do you think they're going to bring the cannon again? <laughs> It'd be funny if they did that, right? Hey, guys. <laughs> it's not even the same sport. It's just like, oh, yeah, let's bring in the cannon. Screw it. It's got wheels for a reason. Yeah, UNLV led by Bryce Hamilton, David Jenkins. This could be a potential Mountain West Player of the Year matchup. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I know. Um, UNLV has only played six conference yeah. games. but and uh, Boise State, um, the kid from Boise State. Oh, Austin. Austin also is generating some buzz. But it will be interesting to see, you know, put their stamp on approval potentially. Yeah, Nevada will play UNLV 6.30 on Sunday. A Sunday-Tuesday game. I don't like that that much. It's a bad mix. But 6.30 on Tuesday on Fox Sports 1. Or 6.30 on Sunday on Fox Sports 1. 6 on Tuesday um, on CBS Sports Network. Nevada will, Nevada women's basketball will also be playing UNLV this weekend on the road. You know, the UNLV men's basketball team is also like on a hot streak, too. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of ish on a hot streak. They had five win- they had five consecutive wins. Two of them were against non-Division one opponents. The other two were against uh, New Mexico. And then they obviously beat, they upset Fresno, or they upset Utah State at home. That was a big upset. Utah State was on an 11-game win streak, then back-to-back losses to Colorado State and to UNLV. And then you, you know, Utah State pulled a, kind of pulled away in the second half of the second game, but... UNLV hung in there for both the games, so this could be this could be a test for Nevada. And former Galena High graduate Moses Wood on UNLV, his dad, David Wood, played at Nevada. Um, and so that'd be interesting. Or so that's that's interesting in the household. I don't know how David feels about <laughs> his son playing for yeah, UNLV. His son playing for UNLV, but I'm sure he supports him. Still awesome though. But, Still gonna be interesting to see. Yeah. Moses Wood blocked me in a high school game like five times. Uh, <laughs> shout out Moses Wood yeah, shout out Moses Wood for swatting me into the seats several times not the not the fondest of memories when it comes to my high school basketball career but <laughs> at least I can say I played against a collegiate basketball player not many can say that yeah um, like and subscribe thank you for listening 
Um, see you next week.